you're listening to audio from the West End Community Church in McGregor, Manitoba. This morning we're going to move back into our series on the book of John. And uh, so I would encourage you just to, to, uh, to turn there in your Bibles to John chapter 8. And uh, we are going to look um, at the, the latter half of the chapter, John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 31. And I hope that you, as you, um, as we've been going through this series, if you can remember back to before Christmas, um, I, I hope that you have started to notice how many conversations that John records um, that Jesus has. How many, you know, just all the different conversations that he has. I mean, yes, he does miracles and he records those miracles and, and all those sorts of things, but um, attached to those miracles, attached to the things that he's doing, he's always talking. And he's always talking to people in a very meaningful way. Um, and it just, it's very interesting, you know, just the just sitting at the, at the well and talking to the Samaritan woman, uh, talking to the woman who was caught in adultery, talking to Nicodemus, talking to the Pharisees, talking to his mother uh, at the wedding, just all these different conversations that he's having. At the, at the back half of John chapter 8, we're going to see him talking again. And uh, what I'm going to do is it's going to be just a, a little bit different than, than usual. Um, so we're going to read the passage, and then as we read the passage, or after we read the passage, we're going to extemporize a little bit, and uh, we'll hopefully get ourselves uh, from the passage to um, what we want to talk about and then bring ourselves back full circle at the end. That's sort of what we're going to be doing, but we're going to start with uh, reading the passage together. So John chapter 8 and verse 31, and I'm going to read down to uh, verse 47. So let's read that together. Verse 31, so Jesus said to the Jews, again, a conversation, who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? These people, obviously, were not well informed uh, as far as history goes, because... uh, I mean, the Jewish people had basically been in slavery on and off for their entire lives. If you go back, I mean, they were a people of history. They remembered their history very well. Somehow, these people that Jesus is talking to had forgotten about the Egyptians. They had forgotten about um, the Assyrians. They had forgotten about the um, just the myriad of people, certainly the Romans, which they were enslaved to or under Roman rule at the time, not sure why they would make a statement like that. Jesus answered them, truly, truly, verse 34, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. That idea of slavery again that we talked about last week. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me 
Because my words find no place in you, and I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. Verse 39, they answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to him, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. And they said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. So now it's clear that this conversation that Jesus had has kind of escalated. They don't like what Jesus is saying. It happens often. So now they make a derogatory statement, really, about his mom. Because, really, a good portion of the Jewish population, people who knew who Jesus was, believed that Jesus had been born in uh, an adulterous kind of relationship, um, or an immoral one at the very least. And so they are making that accusation here. Clearly, they don't like where Jesus is going with his conversation. Verse 42 says, Jesus said to them, now he's going to tell them who their real father is. If God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God, and I am here, and I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he has nothing to do with truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear, me, hear them is that you are not of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that your word would not return um, empty, that it would not come back, and uh, that, that we would just dismiss what, what you speak to us this morning. Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to each and every one of us in uh, a relevant, in a clear way, and it would be what we need to hear this morning. And Father, I pray that we wouldn't dismiss it. I pray that we would hear the words and that we would act on the words that you speak to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's a lot here in this passage that, that we read this morning. And uh, we're going to try to hit the high points, obviously. This conversation that Jesus is having with these, these Jews that, um, that John says... They were Jews who had believed in him. I don't know if that was past tense or, you know, if, if we're not sure exactly what's going on here. But Jesus is trying to tell them, essentially, that, um, that their blood heritage, which they held in high regard, in high accord, right? Their blood heritage only counts for so much. But real heritage... What really matters needs to be in the Lord. I mean, we all come from a, uh, we, we all come from a physical family tree, right? 
Uh, but what really matters and what the point that Jesus is trying to drive home with these people is that what really matters is, is the second birth, is to be born again, to be of God. What really matters is to have a relationship with the Lord, be a part of God's family. And that is what uniquely, even today, especially today, that's what uniquely unites us. I mean, we have brothers and sisters all over the world, and we have that one thing in common, the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't even have to meet these people. We can meet them for the very first time. And, and we have that in common, right? So that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. They don't belong because they don't believe. That's the point. Therefore, they can't lay claim to being part of the family of God. And that's what they really, you know, kind of got their backs up against. Jesus was telling him, you're not part of the family of God because you don't believe. And that's why they wanted to kill him instead of loving him. And so there were a couple times when we were reading, probably actually more than a couple, but I, don't, I, I hope that you noticed that there was one word that was used um, many times, at least seven times actually, and it was the word truth. And notice that when the word truth is is being mentioned in this passage, in these verses that we just read from 31 to 47. Truth is mentioned seven times. Each time it is used in this passage, it is used by Jesus. Interestingly, I don't know if John is just trying to drive that point home, that Jesus is the expert on truth. But think about this. Um, right there at the very beginning of the passage, verse 31, uh, verse 32, sorry, uh, the end of verse 31 says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is a very famous quote. I'm sure you've heard it before. I bet you, I guess we're not supposed to bet, but um, I would contend that a good portion of the world, many people in the world who have said those words, you can find them in, you can find these, these words in books, you can find them in movies, on television shows, you can find this quote being quoted all over the world. I bet you a lot of the people that, that say these words have no idea that it originated with the Lord Jesus Christ. But it did. Jesus was the one who said it. It is a famous quote. It's quoted all the time. And most people don't know where it originated. But if you remember back to November, uh, we were in the very first part of this chapter, chapter 8, and we looked at the story of the woman that was caught in adultery, right? And uh, so now here we are, we looked at the very first part, and now we're at the end of chapter 8, and we see the emphasis on truth. When we looked at the at the story of the lady who was caught in adultery, what was the emphasis? Starts with G, ends with race. Right, grace, yes. Starts with, starts with grace. So the chapter starts with grace. Notice how it ends. You will know the truth and, you will set, uh, and the truth will set you free. So the first part of chapter 8 is all about grace. The last part of chapter 8 is all about truth. So when we put ourselves into the, the shoes of the, the lady that was caught in adultery, we realize, hopefully we realize this, 
that just like her, we are in need of grace, right? I hope that you realize that. And the same is true of the topic today. All of us not only need grace, but we also need truth. Especially in this day when truth is under attack. And, I mean, it is under attack. I mean, we have said this more and more, and and probably some of the things that we will say today, or I will say today, uh, really are... Um, things that, that we have said about truth in the past. And so forgive me if I say something that I've already said. Um, but truth is under attack. But it's not just under attack today. I mean, truth has always been under attack. Truth has been under attack since Genesis chapter 3, if you think about it. I mean, that's when really the first lie was introduced, right? When Satan told Eve the lie, and then um, Eve brought that lie to her husband, and together they sinned against God, and then they lied to, um, to God when he came to visit them in the garden, and everything kind of snowballed from there. It's the reason why Jesus, in this passage that we just read, calls Satan a liar, calls him the father of lies, actually. It was because deception and falsehood originated with Satan. So it's always been a part of human history, all the way back to the very beginning, Genesis chapter 3. Isaiah actually mentions something about it kind of later on in in the history uh, that we associate with the Bible. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 14 and 50 says this, Justice is turned back. Righteousness stands far away. For truth, truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. Does that sound familiar to to today? Sure it does. I think it does. Truth is lacking. Truth has stumbled in the streets. Who knows anymore what is right and what is wrong? What is true and what is false? What is good and what is evil? Because everything seems to be relative now. That's what society is telling us. They're telling us that, that, that everything is, is based on your viewpoint. Everything is relative Thankfully, what we have is we have the source or, or, or maybe we have the standard of truth. So, so we, the people of God, among all people as Christians, we should know what, what is right and what is wrong. But the truth is that we're living in a, uh, in a culture, we're living in a society that is very confused. And the reason is because truth is absent or at least under attack. It's nowhere to be found. It has stumbled in the streets. It's not just in Genesis chapter 3. It's not just in Isaiah chapter 59. It is more recent and modern history. Um, 
the, the propaganda man, the minister of public enlightenment and propaganda for the Nazi, uh, the Nazi regime was a man by the name of Joseph Goebbels. This is what he said. Listen to this. If you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The light can be maintained only for such a time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, and or military consequences of that lie. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use all of its powers to repress dissent. For the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. We are living in those kinds of days where truth has stumbled where people will, will lie to, to gain something for themselves, to advance their agenda. To, they, and, and in order to advance their agenda, they're going to suppress the truth in order to get something for themselves. You just keep telling the lie. You keep, just keep telling the lie until the people will eventually believe it. Until eventually you actually believe it. Uh, a man about 10 years ago said the same thing. He said, people who are indoctrinated with a certain narrative or ideology do not arrive at the intended con- uh, conclusions through their own thinking, but they hear the thing repeated millions of times in a million different ways until they take it as unquestionable truth. Do you know why that's happening? It's because truth has stumbled because people have taken the truth and they've bent it to their own will. What Goebbels admitted and what this man actually uh, said largely the same thing, if enough people say it, if enough um, people that we trust and enough smart people say it, if enough scientists think that it's so, or enough people just repeat it a bunch of different times, it's going to be true, or, or it must be true. I mean, that guy's really smart. That lady is super smart, and she's saying it, so it must be true. And if you don't buy into that narrative... then you must be ignorant or you must be a bigot or all of the above. That's what we're being told today. Um, I know it sounds or seems like I'm standing on a soapbox, and I am a little bit, uh, and I'm not going to come down for a bit yet, so just uh, bear with me. Um, But we just need to identify a little bit about truth. And uh, like I said, some of the things that we've talked about already, but, but let me just, uh, in an overall fashion, I just want to, I want us to identify two things about what truth really is, okay? We need to understand two things about truth. Um, and the first one is the source of truth. What is the source? What is the standard of truth? When we use the word truth, what what does it mean? What are we basing that on? 
Every single one of us has to answer that question. What is the source? What is the standard of, of truth that you evaluate all things through or, or by? And in, in order to determine what is good and what is evil, what is true, what is false, what is right, what is wrong, what is it that you base that on? Like, what is the standard for which you hold up everything that you know and you go, okay, this is right, but how do I know it's right? Well, I've got to have a source. I've got to have a standard to, to base that on, right? I hope you're following me. Okay, so, um, well, there's some things that we know that are absolutely universally true, right? Okay, we know that the sun rises in the east. We know that uh, it sets in the west. We know that water is always going to seek its own level. We know that 2 plus 2 is always going to equal 4. We know that. Everybody with me? Okay, good. Everybody's with me. Uh, So in that category of truth, the truth is never going to change. Why is that? Well, because it's universally, we, we just, I mean, it's based upon some standards, some sources, right? Mathematical principles, uh, observation, all these sorts of things, science. I, I mean, there's all sorts of things that we can, we can hold up those things that we just mentioned. We can prove them to be true, and they're universally true. doesn't matter where it happens, it's always going to be the same, for us as believers, we, I mean, obviously, let's not belabor the point. This is where I'm going. God is the source of truth. And God never changes. Listen to what uh, Moses said, or when he wrote this in Deuteronomy chapter 32. He said, he, uh, he is the rock. His work is perfect, and all his ways are justice a God of truth and without injustice. Righteousness and upright is he. So what Moses is saying is that God is truth and he's the source of all truth. Malachi chapter 3 says this. Um, I, the Lord, do not change. Okay, so what those verses are trying to tell us, and, and those are just examples, it says it in other places as well, God is truth, and he doesn't change. So if God is truth, he's the source of truth, and he doesn't change, then neither does the truth that, that we hold up against him. It, it will not change. If you believe, as I do, that the source and the standard of truth is God and his word, if you believe that to be true, if God is not the source or not the standard of truth, then the source and the standard of truth is ever-changing. Because we have to hold it up here, we have to hold it up here, and, and we have to hold it up against this, or we have to hold it up against that. And, and there's all those different things. But what the Bible is telling us is, no, we don't have to do that. There's only one standard, it's always been. It's God. He is the standard of truth. And so everything that you know and everything that you wonder about, is it a lie? Is it evil? Is it good? Is it whatever? 
we have to hold it up against God. If the source and the standard isn't God, then, then the source and standard of truth is always going to change. And that's, sadly, a very popular notion today. And if, if, if the standard of truth is always changing, then my question is, how do we ever know what's right and wrong? Um, there's a research group called the Barna Research Group, and they did two surveys a few years ago. And one of the surveys was with, <coughs> excuse me, uh, some teenagers, and another one was with adults. They asked them the same questions. Had to do with truth and moral decision making. And these surveys found that at least 5% um, of teenagers listed six different approaches to discovering how what's right and what's wrong. Adults... Um, had not, not six different examples of how they find what's right and wrong, but, but eight different approaches. Um, moral decision-making, they asked them some questions, and they found that 38% of uh, teenagers in the group um, and 31% of adults discerned truth and made moral decisions based on what felt right and what felt comfortable to them. So in other words, um, some of the people that were were surveyed determined truth or moral decision-making on the basis of the values that they had learned from their parents, which sometimes is good, sometimes bad. Or whatever outcome would produce the most personally beneficial results. Whatever would make them happy. That's the way these people were trying to figure out what was true, what was right, what was wrong, what was false, what was true. So my question to you is this. Isn't it comforting to know that God is the source of truth? It should be. Because then I don't have to figure anything out. I can just go to the Bible and I can see what God says about truth. What does God say about this? What does God say about that? No, it's not always going to be popular. For sure it's not going to be popular. But it is going to be true. It's going to be the handbook for our life. So Jesus was praying for his disciples in John chapter 17, just before he went to the cross, and he said this. Father, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So we need to be changed. We need to be sanctified by by God's truth. We need to understand what truth is instead of vacillating and getting caught up in what cultural opinion is because, truthfully, that's a headache in the making, isn't it? We just can't keep up. Because things change in our culture and society daily, hourly. Um, So it's absolutely critical, okay? It's absolutely critical that we understand 
the, the source and the standard of truth. And my contention is this morning, and I believe what the Bible is saying, what Jesus is saying in John chapter 8, is that God is the standard of truth. We also need to understand not only the source of truth, the standard of truth, but we need to understand the terminology. The terminology of truth, okay? This is, this is important. Um, words are important. Not only do we have to understand the source, but we have to understand the words, the terminology. Without some agreement on what words mean, we can't have understanding about anything, especially what is true and what is False. For example, stick with me here. If I were to make a statement like this and say, it is sunny outside today, that, exu- that assumes that you accept the universal English or whatever language I'm speaking, English definition of sunny. So I say it's sunny outside. You know generally most people who hear me say that it's sunny outside understand that sunny means the sun is shining and that if you go outside during the day, you are liable to see your shadow. You are also liable um, to feel the warmth of the sun rays. Not here in Manitoba in January, but uh, I digress. Um, uh, Sunny means sunny okay everybody okay with that all right now what happens if people got together and they said no 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 no, wait okay sunny not only means those things but it also means cloudy and foggy And so the definition changes. And now people are going outside and they're confused and they're saying something like this. I don't know whether I'm supposed to say it's sunny or cloudy today because I don't know what the right terminology is. I don't know if I should say it's foggy because it, it feels sunny, but a lot of people are telling me that I'm, it's really foggy today. And so maybe I should say it's sunny today and, and I don't care what you are, it's... It, is it sunny? Is it cloudy? Is it foggy? They all mean the same thing, and, and there's different terminology. My point is that people are going to start calling you a cloudphobe or a fogophobe or all these different things, and they might even call you a weather bigot because you're caught off guard and you say, no, I think clouds are fine. I like fog, but it's just sunny out. It's not cloudy. It's not foggy. It's sunny, and sunny means sunny. Of course I'm joking. But it proves a point. I'm just trying to illustrate how confusing some of the things in our world are today. Let me tell you why this is happening. Why people are are mad at each other about the words that they use. If I don't like the standard of the source of truth, I'm going to change the terminology of truth. That's what's happening. That's why the source and the standard and the terminology are so important. If I don't like the standard of truth, I'm going to change the terminology to fit my narrative. And we can't do that. That's what we're up against. We're living in a culture that is not only denying the standard of truth, but they're muddying up the terminology so that it creates confusion. Unfortunately, 
because we want to minister. And, and it makes it doubly hard because the people that are angry, when we say the source of truth is God, they're the people that we want to minister to. They're the people that we want to share the gospel with. And it's so difficult because we're not even speaking the same words. Because those words that we're speaking don't mean the same thing to them. Paul, in Colossians chapter 2, said this, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead. And you were complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. Let me read it to you in the NIV. It's almost the same, but a little bit different. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy. Who depend on human tradition and basic principles of the world rather than on Christ. See, that's what the culture wants you to embrace. Embrace tradition. 